Welcome to the HCC Podcast. Our mission is to nurture love for God, love for self, and love for others as the highest goal of humanity. May the following message nurture that love in your life. And remember, you're always welcome at HCC. It's a perfect church for less than perfect people. Peace. John the Baptist came teaching what? The kingdom of God. Jesus came teaching what? The kingdom of God. Go back in your gospel, reference all of the the beginning of John's ministry, the beginning of Jesus' ministry. They both said their primary agenda, their central focus was the kingdom of God. And then all throughout the gospels, Jesus consistently said, the kingdom of God is like, the kingdom of heaven is like. And he would use all of these analogies and illustrations to help us understand the kingdom of God. Why is that? Did God not send Jesus to establish our kingdom and raise us up in the kingdom? No, he didn't. But our prayers are often oriented that way. Lord, you came to die, resurrect from the dead, come live within me so I can get the deal on this house so that I can find the great sale on the car, so that I can work the best deal possible where I am increasing in my kingdom, and my kingdom is expanding and getting more comfortable and more convenient for me. This is why you came, Jesus. Surely, this is why you came. And Jesus keeps saying to everyone in his, in his speaking, listening audience, uh, no, uh, no. I I care about you and I care about your life, but I want you to care more about your kingdom, about my kingdom than your kingdom. I want you as a follower of me to be interested in what I'm looking for in you and with you regarding my kingdom and my kingdom agenda. And this is where we land today on another story that Jesus tells in Matthew chapter 25, starting with verse 14. Would you look at that in your app or on the screen? Matthew chapter 25, it's a lengthy scripture, hang with me, follow along. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his slaves and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. The slave who received the five bags of silver, began to invest the money and earn five more. The slave with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the slave who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. The slave whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver, came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The slave who had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I have earned two more. The master said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. 
Then the slave with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you did not plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with the ten bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Anybody interested in weeping and gnashing of teeth? I'm not even sure I know exactly what that means. My dentist said uh, I need a mouth guard for it, apparently, grinding my teeth. I don't know if that's exactly what it's talking about, but it sounds horrible and I don't ever want to experience it. But before we move on into all of that, we need to take a moment here and address something that I'm sure you picked up in the passage today, and that is the issue of slave and servant. The issue of slave and servant. If I don't right now talk about this, it will distract folks from the higher meaning of the passage. So some of your translations that you're looking at use the word slave and some use the word servant. And what I need for you to be clear is that in the Greek language that the scripture was originally written in, in the New Testament, the word is the Greek word for doulos. There are not two words, there is one word. Not slave or servant, there is one word, and that word is doulos, and that word in the Greek means slave. That's why some translations have slave. Others soften that term and use servant, but the word is doulos, it means slave. And this is the word slave for involuntary slavery or voluntary slavery. But in the end, slavery is slavery, voluntary or not. This is one human being subjugating another human being as property of another. Slavery in any form or any fashion is sin. Let that be clear. And according to Jesus in Luke chapter 4, he actually said he came to release those that were oppressed, to do away with those things that enslave and keep us in bondage. Jesus came to actually free them are held in captivity. However, in this broken world, slavery, like sin, is a part of of our present day reality and has been a part of world history since the fall of Genesis, since the fall of humanity in Genesis chapter 3. Every society in world history has suffered from slavery. Whether it's brown people, white people, black people, red people, yellow people, purple people, any people, any people, since the very beginning of sinfulness breaking the world apart, and ruining it with sinfulness has suffered the effects and tragedies of slavery. No one race has the monopoly on slavery. The whole world for all of time since sin entered the world has been broken by slavery even up to last week. 
How many people in here recognize the, the story out of Houston where they found a home and there was 90 people held captive in the home? That is an effect of modern day slavery. We just had a Dash for Dignity run where we are addressing the issues of human trafficking. That is slavery. Slavery is an equal opportunity offender. But you need to see this because Jesus is not endorsing or validating slavery in any way. He is simply taking a reality of everyday life in this broken world, in this world's kingdom... And he is using it to communicate a truth about God's kingdom. He is taking a reality of the broken world's kingdom and contrasting and setting up a truth of the reality of God's kingdom. And in the New Testament, the word slave was actually redeemed, surprisingly, redeemed in the New Testament and used in a way that describes our freedom and service for God. Paul often referred to himself as a slave of Jesus Christ. That's not something I imagine you do. Hey, I'm sorry, um, who are you? My name is Steve, a slave of Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you to try that this week. It'll freak some people out and, they'll get re- and, you're, and it'll get really awkward. And if you enjoy that kind of thing, you'll like it. So I'm just inviting you, just go ahead and introduce yourself like Paul introduced it. My name is Steve. I'm a, bond sl- I'm a bond servant, a bond slave of Jesus Christ. Just go ahead and say that. See what happens. Listen to this amazing passage from Paul in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 21. Are you a slave? Don't let that worry you. But if you get a chance to be free, take it. And remember... If you were a slave when the Lord called you, you are now free in the Lord. Get that. If you're a slave, if you're in the Lord, you're free. And if you were free when the Lord called you, you are now a slave of Christ. God paid a high price for you, so don't be enslaved by the world. Paul is inviting the Corinthian church to recognize that their identity is not in their suffering. There are people listening today who feel enslaved by your suffering. And you could make a case for it, for sure. We are recognizing in the Corinthian church and the modern day Christian church that our identity is not our suffering. Our identity is not our social status. Our identity is nothing that the world offers. Whether you're feeling enslaved or free, nothing the world offers you is going to be your identity for them that are in Christ. Identity as such as a slave or free or young or old or popular or unpopular, rich or poor or whatever does not define the believer in Jesus. This is the reality. The question is not what do you feel enslaved by? What do you feel oppressed by? What do you feel as though you're suffering as if that's your identity? The question is who is your master? Who is your master? Allowing the world to identify you as good, bad, accepted, unaccepted, valuable, not valuable is being enslaved to the wrong master. Paul is saying there is another master that you want to be enslaved by. 
He was inviting the church. He is inviting you to a new sense of identity beyond the mastery of the world. So, not surprisingly, the best sense of identity for Paul was that of a slave to Christ. What a contradiction. It's, it's an amazing contradiction. The only way to freedom, according to Paul, is through slavery. Slavery to Christ as master. It's not about having the world as your master or Christ as your master and being enslaved in either direction. Slavery is the same on both ends. Jesus is saying, Paul is saying, it's the master whom you are enslaved by. That's what makes the difference. So Jesus is against any human enslaving of another human for the sake of the world's kingdom. But Jesus was all for receiving us as slaves for God's kingdom because therein lies freedom. The issue is not slavery, but the issue is mastery. Not slavery, but mastery. Slavery to the world as master is hellish. Slavery to Christ as a master is heavenly. The issue is not slavery. The issue is mastery. So with that context, with that established, we can move forward into the passage of Matthew 25. And this is another allegory. This is another story, an allegory that Jesus uses to communicate what the kingdom of God is like. The master is Jesus. His slaves represent the church who have received various responsibilities. The master's departure is the ascension of the earthly Jesus. See how all these things are lining up and linking up? The long absence of the master is the church age that we are in right now. The master's return is the second coming of Jesus Christ. The rewards given to the slaves represent heavenly rewards given to the faithful at the time of the great judgment. And the joy is at the great marriage of the banquet of the Lord that we talked about the week previous. The punishment of the evil slave represents those within the church who, through their sins of omission... You that come from a Catholic or Episcopal background, you might remember that from your CCD classes. The sins of omission. They, the sins of omission, condemn themselves to eternal darkness, meaning separation from God. So these themes that, that are being dealt with in this passage already have been dealt with by Jesus in all the previous parables that we've looked at. But the repetition of them, the constant repeating of them, is emphasizing how serious Jesus is about the work his followers are to be doing as they steward well the gifts that God has given them for his kingdom and as citizens. I've often, my family has often really challenged me and said, Dad, you already said that. Saying it another way is not going to help us. Maybe some, of, some other of you, you also suffer from that same condition. Repetition, repeating yourself. Uh, all I'm saying is I'm just trying to be like Jesus. <laughs> Jesus is obviously repeating himself here. He's saying the same thing over and over again, but in a different way. So take that, family. Anyway, 
I'm just trying to be like Jesus, all right? Because Jesus is serious. He is so serious about the work that we're supposed to be doing for him and his kingdom. A day is coming soon when God will call everyone to account for how they spent the resources that the king has given them. And by now, everyone that's reading these stories, you also listening to me preach these stories, stories should recognize that God is not messing around. He is not messing around. He is indeed serious about this great commandment that he talks about. He is very serious about this great commission that he's talking about. He has given the church work to do. He has not given pastors work to do. Actually, the Bible says that he gave pastors the work of equipping the church so that the church could do the work. This is what I do. I help you learn that you have a job. I help you understand what your job is. I do training. I do teaching. I do Bible studies to try to help equip you to do the work that God has called you to do. If you don't do the work, bad things happen. He intends for you and I to embrace and execute the great commandment and the great commission. The great commandment is to love God with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our body. The great commission is taking the gospel invitation to everyone who will listen. And I cannot overemphasize how serious this is. I've been preaching about it for the last several weeks because Jesus just keeps saying it over and over over and over again with different stories and different parables. God is not your grandma. God is not your grandpa. You are not like a little grandkid who gets a free pass all the time and they don't have any responsibilities for you. They just love, let you come and run around and run amok and do whatever you want. God is not that. God is not your grandma, not your grandpa just glossing over your irresponsibility with the task and work that he has given you. When that happens, these are sins of omission. If your boss asks you, think about this in your context, if your boss asks you to produce a report that she's going to track back to you later for, and then when she tracks back to you, you don't have the report. How many times can that happen before the boss fires you? It's not going to be many times. The boss is serious. The boss didn't give you busy work in case you get around to it. The boss gave you work that the boss intends to be done. A day is coming where our heavenly boss is going to track back to us about the work he gave us to do. A day where you and I will stand before this boss and give an account of our stewardship regarding all that God has given us in time and talent and treasure. So let's talk briefly about this, these sins of omission and sins of commission. Talk briefly about them. Omission. James chapter 4, verse 17. Remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. So God says, do this, and we don't do it. That's the sin of omission. The sin of commission is Romans 7, verse 19. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Can I get an amen? 
Okay, so we all struggle with, with that. So God says, don't do this, and we do it. All the do's and all the don'ts of the Bible are equally important, but we spend so much time on the don'ts, we often don't consider much the do's. God says, do tithe. God says, do forgive your enemy. God says, do Sabbath. God says, do live a life of worship, and we don't do it. These are sins of omission. God says also, don't lie. Don't hold on to bitterness. Don't commit adultery. Don't be lazy. And we do it. These are sins of commission. The do's and don'ts of the Bible, of God's kingdom, are equally important. This is often where many people smile at Jesus, nod, accept his grace of forgiveness, but rarely activate his grace in obedience. Thank you for forgiving me. I'm going to go and live my life now. Instead of, thank you for forgiving me, what can I do? What's my work? What do, what, what do I need to do? We rarely activate the grace of obedience after receiving the grace of forgiveness. When we receive the forgiveness of grace, but reject the obedience of grace, we stand as hypocrites. God will judge this hypocrisy on that great day. Now let me clarify the difference between earning and effort related to God's grace. No one can earn God's saving grace. But all those saved by grace are to put in the effort of God's serving grace. James says that the grace of faith and the grace of works go hand in hand. We are saved by God's grace to go to work for God's grace. Listen carefully to that. We are saved by God's grace to go to work for God's grace. Time to get busy doing the work of the master. Not the master of the world, trying to gain all the things of the world, where we're constantly attempting. Our, our top priorities in life are security and comfort and convenience, and we're pursuing all of that to the exclusion of the work that we need to be doing for God's serving grace. Time to get busy. The master is returning soon to judge the work we've done with his grace. Here in our story, in Matthew 25, the master or the king sees the servant who does nothing to improve the position of the king as a hypocrite. You said you would serve me, I told you to go serve me, and you didn't serve me. Which ends up being as bad as someone who just flat out rejects it. If the servant, if the slave would have said, yeah, hey, thanks, but no thanks, I quit. That's different than saying, sure, I take it. I take the grace, but I'm going to do nothing with it. That's a very different posture and position. God expects those saved by his grace to work hard with his grace to advance his kingdom. God expects those saved by his grace to work hard with his grace to advance his kingdom agenda. He's giving you, he's giving you and me bags of grace to work with. 
He's given you and me bags of grace to work with. What are you doing with the grace he's given you? The personal application here is that God has given you and me resources of grace to steward. Basically, they are the resources of time, talent, and treasure. This story is about those who take seriously and steward these resources for the betterment of God's kingdom. This is what God is calling. This is the work of the kingdom for all of God's citizens. And it's also taking into consideration those who don't. Stewardship of your time, talent, and treasure is a measure of how serious you take God's grace. Check out these two contrasting statements as I bring this to a close. For you are using your time, talent, and treasure. Let's get that up on the screen. I want to contrast these two statements. For you are using your time, talent, and treasure for God's kingdom. For you who are doing that, you are now feeling a measure of joy, the joy of God. Therefore, God will magnify that joy a billion times when you stand before him and he rewards you. This is heaven. The full expression of God's joy on you who have stewarded your talents and resources, your bags of grace well. This is what you will experience. You will in part feel his joy now, but you will then feel his joy in full. That is heaven. Next slide. For you who are not using your time, talent, and treasure for God's kingdom, you are now feeling the absence of God's joy. Therefore, God will magnify that joylessness a billion times when you stand before him and he takes away any reward. This is hell. Jesus is speaking to the church and he's saying to the church, you can't fake me out. You can't pretend to be religious, to be all in, to be really committed, but ultimately you're truly prioritizing your kingdom over my kingdom. Now, am I saying that you have to quit your job and just become a missionary or a pastor? No, I'm not saying that at all. But when you go do your job, you're thinking about how to glorify God in that job. You're thinking about how to honor God in that job. You're thinking about being a witness in that job. You're thinking about taking the body and blood of Jesus and being available to share it with others on that job. You're thinking about how to, how to do your job well and bring glory to God. This is how you are stewarding the resources of God's kingdom in a way that advances his kingdom rather than saying, all right, God, what you got for me today? What you gonna do for me today, God? Folks, it's time to get busy with the things that God really, really cares about. Worshiping, fellowshipping, tithing, apprenticing, serving, evangelizing. He is not joking about these things. I would like to right now say, ah, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Relax. God's like a big old Santa Claus in the sky. He just wants you to have fun. Now, no doubt God wants you to have fun. No doubt God wants you to have joy. But there's work involved. 
There is work involved here. There is effort involved here. There is not sitting back saying, gimme, gimme, gimme. There is what can I do for you, God? How can I serve you effectively? What can I do in my context, my family, my parenting, my marriage? How can I be a husband that glorifies you, God, by loving my wife like Christ loved the church? How can I be a wife who responds to that kind of love as, as the church is to re respond to Jesus? How can I use my money? How can I steward this food in front of me? How can I serve you in ways that will bless you and honor you, God, and advance your kingdom? What can I do for you? you I am your slave I am your servant I subjugate myself to you God you are my master how do you want me to work my plumbing job how do you want me to work my accounting job what do you want me to do as a student with my English homework how do you want me to execute this sports opportunity over here how would you like me to play soccer how would you like me to play softball how can I honor you in my disposition and attitude as I go on the debate club and stand up on that stage and act in that way in the play how can I Lord God steward everything you've given me for your glory and your majesty how can I do it this is the disposition of the faithful servants the faithful slaves who take what God has given them and multiplies everything they've got for the glory of God to treat our our citizenship in the kingdom of God like a heavenly sandals vacation where we get the grace but don't have to work at all is to fall into the parable of the sheep and the goats that come later in Matthew 25 where God says to those who buried his grace depart from me I never knew you and they say wait a minute I watched Steve online I should get something for that I put up with going to heritage you know a couple times a month and goodness isn't that enough God we're saying, I was religious. I went to visit the sick. I went to visit the prison. I did this. I, I, I showed up at the food pantry. What I did, I get something. It's, 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 a, it's not about doing as much as it is being, but doing has a part in expressing your being. And so therein, those two things come together in the truth of who you are. Are you in Christ and are you working for Christ? If you're in Christ, you'll be working for Christ in every aspect of your life. And then that day will come when you stand before him and he will know you are his sheep and you will hear his voice and he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter in to your reward. I want that. Do you want that? Goodness. For many of us, for me included, it's time to get up and get the work for our master.